listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello everyone, it's Fran Barber. And Monica Melanchthon. And this week, Monica and I are going to be talking about the readings from the 16th week after Pentecost, namely Exodus 14, chapters 19, verses 19 to 31. We will make a foray into Exodus 15, 1b to 11, 20 to 21, the song of the Exodus, um, and a mention of Psalm 114. And we will focus on Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. So to start off, we're going to uh, explore this grand event in the Hebrew narrative of the Exodus in chapter 14, a dramatic and, must be said, violent occasion uh, when the Israelites are freed from oppression. Uh, there's dramatic natural events and sort of supernatural events. I don't know if that's the right Mm -hmm. phrase. Um, Monica, what is the first thing you would say about this event as as it is told to us in Chapter 14? Well, first of all, I'd like to highlight the f- uh, that it is a, a defining story uh, in the in the life of, of the Jewish people. Mm. Um, it's a very uh, it's a crucial and dramatic story which Israel uh, lives by and commemorates almost every week when mm. they celebrate the the Sabbath. Um, and here you have um, divine rescue of the people of Israel from oppression in Egypt. Um, the Pharaoh. Uh, um, has lost his firstborn son and he has been defeated already but he just could not let go of of the anger and the humiliation that he has suffered so he pursues uh, this community that is uh, that is making its way towards the promised land um, and then encounters uh, them at the at the Reed Sea or the Red Sea as it's popularly known uh, and God acts um, at that moment, to rescue uh, the people of uh, the people of Israel, so um, <clears throat> uh, this story I think has a lot of similarities with other texts within the Old Testament, like the story of Noah uh, that we are all familiar with, where the uh, sinful humanity perished uh, in the waters uh, in Genesis six to eight. Uh, it uh, it also alludes uh, can uh, to sorry it also alludes to Exodus uh, chapter one where uh, Hebrew boys are uh, are drowned or at least the Pharaoh instructs that the mm. Hebrew boys be drowned in the Nile uh, at birth um, and uh, I hear uh, through my reading uh, that um, uh, this particular narrative has been commonly read as an allegory for baptism as well uh, from uh, you know 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 2 where we walk we we are washed by the waters you know of all our our sinfulness and wickedness uh, etc so for those who are interested in doing some intertextual work uh, can also look at these other texts uh, and and bring them into conversation with uh, Exodus uh, 14 um so in this story, I think there are two primary issues, as you have already mentioned, the issue of violence, and that is both divine violence 
and uh, human violence and how uh, imp- first of all let's pay attention to divine violence uh, you know god uh, does things here that leads to the death of uh, of the egyptians and we uh, tend to celebrate that uh, as victory of good over uh, over evil mm-hmm. um, and as think i think as readers very often we tend to identify ourselves with the israelites um and yet we need to be honest enough <laughs> uh, and ask ourselves is uh, do we really emulate the israelites in our lives or to what extent are we actually pharaohs mm. i mean it's not just to mention that the egyptians died is it it's very verse 30 to 31 um they were dead on the seashore there's several version several points at which their suffering and um demise is is emphasized mm-hmm. um as you say quite quite violently mm-hmm. there's also um well truth in in the observation isn't there that when one preaches on this text to be mindful of that violence is to preach as if there were an egyptian in the room or preach as an israelite in uh, oh or, yes or, or, or we preach as With, israelites yeah yeah, yes, yeah sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 um which is mindful of of the violent way in which this has come about it is important to know and look you know there's very um warlike language the armies are mentioned and so on but actually there's no weaponry mm. is there no. um yeah so th- theologically here it's very important to note the themes of creation and chaos that play out through all of this So um God uses natural means of the ocean and the winds and so on but then there's s- strange things that occur like the wall of the ocean the the ocean sort of lifts like a wall um yeah so so that this is not there's no human beings actually mm. being overtly violent uh, in the story yeah, yeah. uh i think it's uh, it is um god does act uh, violently to save uh, the israelites from the oppressors uh first of all uh, i think it's important to remember uh, that in times of exile uh, oppression and overwhelming angry frustration and despair uh, yeah. and despair Uh, and in impossibly unjust uh, situations uh, you know uh, the image of a of a sudden um, and violent end to all that we uh, loathe uh, is reassuring mm. you know and uh, and honestly a very very human response um see we these we see this in our lives as individuals as well when we watch a movie and we we you know we uh we root for the the hero who is on his way to mm. to kill the mm. uh, to kill the enemy or the bad person uh and so i think this response is something that most oppressed communities throughout history uh will be able to uh, resonate mm. uh, uh will be, will resonate with the story and the uh, and the ending um but this uh, but uh it's 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 uh, uh the seeds of violence you know that um that are there in this story is also in all of us mm-hmm. um and uh, and in the god we make in our own image mm. and so um the god we want to fix 
situations of uh, of of suffering um and so uh, so these are uh, this is a good story for when we are in hard times mm. it's hopeful you know it generates uh, yeah it generates hope uh, but at the same time um we need to understand that this is redemptive violence that god is uh, is enacting uh, for the sake of the people and it because of the fact that uh, the cry has come from the oppressed mm. communities that God behaves or acts uh, in this way uh, for the sake of the oppressed people. Uh, it is important here uh, for us to emulate instead the human uh, agent here, namely Moses, uh, who uh, who works in non-violent ways okay to uh, to overcome the worst of injustices so um while we do not want to uh, uh reject or um ignore the no, uh, the violence in the story uh, we should also orient ourselves perhaps towards emulating moses <laughs> um <clears throat> who is a remarkable example of non-violent protest uh, leadership and uh, and prayer and so um he 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 is the one who who listens to the instructions given by the divine and moses uh, here uh, in this particular story stretches out his hand uh, as instructed uh, by god and what is also more significant is that uh, in the uh, in verse 13 of the of the chapter moses tells the people uh, do not be afraid stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the lord uh you will see the deliverance the lord will bring you today the egyptians you see today you will never see again the lord will fight for you you need never be afraid and for me um uh, that is what we need to be assuring uh, assuring people maybe it sounds simplistic but um yeah well no it's part of the faithfulness of god that we yeah. preach all the time um which i mean this it goes without saying but this passage is an invitation for really big theme preaching and you can't i don't think preach on such a theme as exodus and liberation in isolation from all from the other key ones yeah. in the hebrew yeah. narrative and yeah. um covenant being uh another key one that um in a few chapters time exodus 19 with the commandments so this is a a freedom um enacted by a faithful god into a new life that is bound to god mm-hmm. continues to be bound to god in this intimate relationship of reciprocity and covenant mm-hmm. um and one that we continue by virtue of israel give thanks to god yeah. we are in also yes yeah. i i think uh, i think the text is an invitation to all of us to contemplate the seeds of violence that mm. are there in in all of us mm. uh, irrespective of who we are um and and such you know imaginings are are edgy are uh, dangerous <laughs> uh, um and uh, violent means are used by god and often um we can say if god does it why can't we mm. you know and so therefore um it's 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 an invitation as i've said for us to contemplate mm. uh on uh how we uh, engage violence of the mm. divine in the text uh and what 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 kind of messages is it giving uh, is it giving to us and the message is not always therefore pick up a sword <laughs> no, no no well and the commandments are not that yeah. i mean in the yeah. thematic stuff i was right. just saying you know yeah. like it's all that's very clearly yeah. not yeah. about that. Yeah. So, um 
we've named you know the big themes and the issue of violence. I do think um, some preachers might want to approach the text, recognising that there's actually a couple of um, sources in this story as we have it now. As we have it now, it's highly coherent, mm-hmm. but actually it's a couple of different stories put together at different times. And so there's a real rich theology and um, some juxtaposition of some theology as well. Uh, God's intimately involved, but then there's quite indirect means going on as well. Uh, and then, as we'll come to in just a minute, there's the ver- the song in Exodus 15. Um, so it is possibly um, an opportunity to talk about the nature of the Bible and and the richness of the stories and the fact that, you know, what does it mean for this to be true? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for this story to be true? And the, the layered ways in which um, that is the case mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, is an opportunity here. But I've just made mention of it. So chapter 15, yeah. uh, Monica, yeah, is the so song, yes, the jubilant song. song. So the people have been rescued and, and so they are now, you know, uh, happy uh, and feel safe and so they break into a song. So these words of Moses uh, are, are words which reach down into the lives of each one of us um, for none of us can escape such uh, such struggles and desires for justice or the accompanying wish that there might be easier mm. ways uh, where an outside agent would just fix this for us. Mm. Uh, okay, um, so here uh, you have um, uh, you know the flood, uh, the flood, the waters, the waters that were that had receded have now come back, drowning uh, the Egyptians, uh, and so now the people are. Uh, conscious of the fact that they are no longer an enslaved people uh, bound to make bricks uh, for the pharaoh uh, but um, far away from uh, from slavery and from oppression uh, and a people who are freed uh, by Yahweh and so Moses uh, and uh, and his people break into song I think it's, impo- it's important to also uh, acknowledge here that the song um, in verse 21 is is put on the word on the lips of Miriam uh, Moses's sister and scholarship will teach you uh, that perhaps uh, the song um, was first of all the song of Miriam uh, ah. which was then expanded um, and recognized you know uh, or put onto the lips of Moses okay so this the original song is the is the song in the, on Miriam. the lips of Miriam yeah, right. uh, because yeah. a, as you know within the old testament it was traditional for women to uh, to welcome home the men from war you know with dancing and singing and the playing of tambourines uh, so therefore that Miriam did this perhaps with other women folk in the exodus community is not hard to uh, imagine mm. uh, and uh, but, but later writers thought that the song was perhaps more appropriate on the lips of Moses and it was expanded uh, and put, uh, you know, and Moses is made the, the singer of the song. And in this song, um, you will find that um, it's a product of an, uh, of an experience. They have experienced rescue and so they break into song, uh, praising, uh, praising God and um and I think there are two elements to this praise. One is adoration of God for what God has for what God has done, and therefore revealing something of the nature of God, the uh, the power of God, the majesty of God, the capability of God. Uh, but also, it is uh, the song is a witness uh, to uh, to others who may not know. Uh, what this God has done. And thirdly, I think, importantly, uh, the praise is one that enables the singer to recollect uh, 
who this God is and what God has uh, what God has done. It strikes me there's an opportunity for quite a jubilant um, reading of this reading mm-hmm. with music and song mm-hmm. around it and yeah. a woman yeah. reading it. Yes. Um, the other comment I would wonder about is it appears the violence is somewhat muted in this passage mm-hmm. too compared to the last one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously yeah. there when you yeah. look for it, but yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's less. Yeah, but I think uh, I think the, the song in a way uh, takes uh, – takes one beyond just what has happened there at the Reed Sea. Yeah. So as Terence Fretheim would say that it is, uh, it is there are no names mentioned, the Pharaoh's name is not mentioned, and therefore the enemy can be anyone. anyone. Uh, and so therefore, uh, the uh, you know, it is becoming cosmic in scope. And, if and owned and owned multi levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, God's anger is quite explicit. You know, uh, God says, you know, and you sent out your fury. You mm. sent out in fury, and so Yahweh as warrior uh, is uh, is uh, is uplifted. Uh, and uh, w- what is interesting is that 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 there are no there is no mention of any instruments of war like mm. the s- shield or the spear or the sword. Instead, God uses natural elements like the wind, the sea, the floods. Waters, deep earth, uh, etc. You know, um, he does uh, mention actually a sword in oh, verse I'm nine. Okay. I will draw okay. my sword; my hand shall destroy them. Right. That okay. is pretty vast. Okay, I, I kind of missed that. I missed that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just saw but, it as you but, said but it. the thing is, the main elements that are used yeah. are, are well, these it's freedom, elements liber- of nature. Yeah, yeah and and of, of and of liberation yeah. and so on. Yeah. But I just I love that um, research that has shown that it was initially the song of Miriam. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really yeah. important for preachers yeah. to grasp. Yeah, which uh, yeah. Which then brings us to the psalm. Yes, if I may well, say I was going to say Psalm 114. Psalm 114, I think, is again uh, a very, very uh, significant psalm uh, for uh, for Jewish people, particularly because it is a psalm that is read uh, when they celebrate the Passover, uh, and uh, and and the psalm uh, in the psalm, the central event uh, is the deliverance from uh, e- Egypt. Um, and so the psalm has been identified as a historical psalm because it tells a story, uh, and the story is, of course, the the rescue uh, from the Pharaoh, uh, uh, you know, and the uh, at the at the Reed Sea. Uh, the psalm um, particularly highlights the dis, uh, you know the escape from Egypt, and then uh, there are some playful questions addressed to the waters. You know, why are you skipping, or why are you running away, why are you turning back? In a way, there's a personification mm. uh, of the uh, of of this element of water and then at the end uh, there's a description of the coming of the lord and and basically uh, highlighting the fact that uh, the waters uh, the human community they're all called to tremble at the lord's presence um um yeah you know um <clears throat> Um, with 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 a mention made of the provision of water uh, in the wilderness uh, as it's well. Qu- it's quite a staccato um, psalm. Like I know it's not the shortest one um, in in the book, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is certainly got some of the shortest sentences. And it did strike me that um, maybe if you'd typed into AI to write a psalm about mm. the Exodus, this is might be what. <laughs> Might be, right. might be spat yeah, out. Yeah, um, I mean it's a very simple psalm in terms of language, it, and it's language that can be easily understood. Yeah, yeah, and I and I can see why uh, 
it it's uh, you know perhaps it was written in this simple form so that uh, so that it could be uh, it could be used <laughs> more easily yeah more readily yeah. and and yeah used often yeah. as you say yeah yeah shall we move uh, to the gospel now monica um, which is matthew 18:21 to 35 So we're in Matthew still in the teaching about, broadly speaking, community life and conflict and um, forgiveness and reconciliation is not mentioned here, but it is in the background all the time. This passage is a tricky one because the first two verses, 21 and 22, um, seem not to go with the parable that follows. So I'm not sure how helpful it is to... um, to put them together in the lectionary. Um. Well, basically this, you know, I, I uh, well, I think it is uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the text is, is wanting us to think about forgiveness. How often do you forgive? Uh, and what does forgiveness mean? And, you know, uh, what kind of behavior does one who is forgiven? Um, what are they called to? What they're called to do, you yeah, know, or yeah. how how do you live your life as a person who has been forgiven? Mm. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, what this uh, what the parable is reminding us is the fact that that we tend to f- forget the fact that uh, forgiveness means that it's an end to to uh, to any uh, notions or um, um, instances or uh, feeling or desires for for revenge, revenge and, yeah. and, and violence, and yet. Uh, this this particular servant, uh, you know, has been forgiven, and yet he refuses to forgive someone else uh, who who owes him some uh, owes yeah, him some money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the text, for me, very simply, is one that is reminding us uh, uh, as Christians <laughs> uh, that that we are a forgiven people, and we have been forgiven uh, by virtue of the of the of the death of of Jesus Christ on the uh, on the cross, and. Um, um, I guess, yeah. yeah, where the challenge here is for some hearers will be that very overt mention of just judgment that um, is here in this passage too. Um, in an anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured, so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you. Yes. Um, I think we need to face that mm-hmm. hard word yeah. in our preaching or in our understanding of right. the passage. Um, and so... I think it's actually pastorally very challenging to preach this because you are obviously doing it into a context of a community. You might know something about most of them because you've been there for a number of years or whatever. But um, it is obviously very different talking about forgiveness in the face of a relatively minor misunderstanding or um, wrong Mm. compared to forgiveness in the case of grave abuse Mm. and... um, um, power differentiation and and so on um and that it is not good news for someone who's enduring that or has yeah. endured that to made to feel that they are less because they can't um do what this passage appears to tell us we need to do yeah. um so there's a few things um i suppose i'd want to say about that and um one of them would be, you know, 
this passage is hard because it does very clearly call us to forgiveness. I mean, that for the first two verses I mentioned is um, echoing the Jubilee year in, in the Hebrew culture where, you know, the debts are forgiven every seven years. Um, so that's a very clear call to, to, to that, that this is the direction we go in. You know, we, we are – mercy has been enacted upon us and so mercy is called for – by us. Mm-hmm. But there's a very human dimension to needing to talk about the time that that can take um, and the emotional roller coaster it is to live without forgiveness, you know, or to live, um, as you say, with, um, and you didn't say hardness of heart, but w- with a desire for revenge that's super understandable, but how, how to, you know, is that yeah. how to live? Is, this, yeah. is that how we live? Right. Um, and something that Sam Wells actually talks about in his book Love Mercies, um, which is about, I think, about 10 or 12 steps mm. to forgiveness, and half of those I think are God's business, mm-hmm. um, but that he draws the distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation mm. um, and it may be that reconciliation is never is not is not um, something that can be expected in a particular scenario. Oh, okay. But forgiveness is something you might get to, mm. but that doesn't mean necessarily reconciliation. So I don't know. I mean, I have read some literature coming out of South Africa where, you know, uh, the truth and reconciliation conversations. Yeah. And there are some there who would uh, who would actually uh, emphasise that that reconciliation is not possible without forgiveness. Um, uh, but I think what we are touching upon here oh, is yeah, a no, I, big I, issue. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that there are some situations where you just the person can't be expected to get to reconciliation. Issue. They may manage to forgive. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. right, right. I, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. It's it's, yeah. it's that you know that's the pastoral word. Right. Yeah, is um, it's not all on you. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. As you're speaking, I'm thinking of uh, relationships between, for example, in the biblical story of Hagar and and Sarah, uh, and there is no there is no reconciliation that takes place no. between the two of them. But I would I would imagine uh, that Sarah at some point said, "Look, I forgive her. Mm. Okay, she was a victim of the structures in mm. which she was, and I'm a victim of the structure mm. of the same structure. Mm. Uh, but I need to move on with my life. <laughs> yeah. And so she forgives. Uh, she forgives Sarah uh, and moves on with her life. You know. Uh, and yes, and yet there is no reconciliation as such between the two. Mm. Yeah. I mean, also just it's clearly here to um, a parsing, perhaps you could say, of the Lord's Prayer. Where we, we pray, you know, if we worship every week, we every week we we pray that our sins be forgiven as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. Yeah. So um, have we? Have we? <laughs> have we? So have I think we? we have very big issues in the text today. The whole issue of violence and non-violent yeah. uh, acts of behaving. Uh, what is what is justified in one situation may not be justified in another. And I think as Christians, we need to uh, we need to uh, uh, discern. You know uh, where, <laughs> uh, uh, but I where where it is appropriate. Mm. But I think I think we need to err on the side of nonviolence. Um, that would be what God would expect of us. Yes, I and think. indeed, the mercy that is our prior ex- our prior existence here. Now, I mean, mercy in this parable is enacted first. Mm. It is the context in which we live and are before God. Mm-hmm. And it's out of that gift of grace that we are called 
to live. Yes. Which might be a good point for us to close, okay. unless you have a final <laughs> remark. Uh, uh, just to uh, just to say that I think in the in the whole issue of violence and forgiveness, I think at some point someone has to say, "Well, it has to stop yeah. here." Yeah. Um, otherwise, the cycle continues, mm-hmm. and um, no one, yeah, no one's no one's going off. to benefit. No. Yes. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.